Hey guys, welcome to Rice Public Radio. Today we're going to talk about the first Democratic primary debate, which occurred on June 26th and June 27th. And I'm going to share my thoughts about the state of the primary at this moment. Um, so some time has passed since the first Democratic primary debate. Uh, unfortunately, I was unable to create a new podcast in time to review the de- that debate. So I'll just use I'll use today's episode to do a quick recap and I'll also share my thoughts on the various candidates and why I think they will or will not succeed. So as you may know, there were 20 candidates in the debates and it was split into two nights with 10 debates on the 26th and 10 on the 27th. For the sake of time, I'll just condense my thoughts on both nights into one narrative. I'll be referring to candidates from the first and second night interwovenly. Uh, First off, let's talk a little bit about the pandering of Beto O'Rourke, Congressman O'Rourke. This guy decided to bust out his Spanish right in the middle of answering a question. The host asked if Beto would approve of a 70% marginal tax rate. Beto proceeded to rattle off about how the economy should work for all and then inexplicably began using Spanish. It was such an obvious pander to Spanish-speaking individuals. I mean, his accent was bad, he seemed nervous and shaky, and it was hollow. Uh, Later on, Cory Booker would also answer a question in Spanish. How cringeworthy is this? Instead of developing good policies that are supported by Spanish-speaking individuals or the Spanish-speaking population, you have to rely on these tricks. Do you think minorities are that stupid, are that dumb, that when they hear someone speak Spanish, they automatically flock to them? It's such a laughably, laughably bad moment. Poor Beto continued to get demolished. Julian Castro, who actually delivered a surprisingly strong performance on the issue of immigration, cornered Beto about policy specifics on a specific uh, immigration bill, and Beto cannot respond with any coherent rebuttal. Let's move on to Tim Ryan. Now, he is an interesting candidate. He, I liked his take on the Democratic Party. He's correct in stating that the Democratic Party must start being a party of the working class and not a party of elites or professionals. However, he quickly exposed himself as a shallow and stupid individual in his exchange with Tulsi Gabbard. In fact, Tim Ryan is such a huge moron for stating that we must stay engaged in Afghanistan. Um, the host asked him a question regarding you know, the U.S. war in the U.S. wars in the Middle East, particularly Afghanistan. And he says that, oh, you know, Donald Trump doesn't is not engaged in these issues and we must be engaged. Well, firstly, how many years have we been in Afghanistan? Over 18 years. This conflict, this war has no end in sight. There doesn't even seem to be any conclusion or any particular exit strategy. And yet Tim Ryan states that we must still be engaged in the region. How long are we going to be there for? We might as well annex the country. I mean, there's no end in sight. It's absolute nonsense. Now, here's the part that I really love. Tulsi drilled Tim Ryan by stating that he, that his answer, oh, let me back on up. Tulsi 
drilled Tim Ryan. And she says, as a soldier, your answer is an unacceptable. Tim Ryan proceeded to get his ass handed to him by Tulsi after he said that the after he said that you know if we don't stay engaged, the Taliban are going to expand and attack us. And the last time we weren't engaged, they piloted a plane into the Twin Towers. Tulsi correctly admonishes him by stating that it was Al Qaeda that attacked the United States, not the Taliban. And after that statement, Tim Ryan looked like a deer caught in the headlights. He looked like a dead duck in the water. Tulsi's comments seemed to have shaken him up as he alluded to her in a tweet following the debate about Tulsi's meeting with Bashar al-Assad. Tim Ryan, you're such a crybaby. Get off the stage. Uh, Speaking of Tulsi... She started off a bit strangely in the debates by stating, you know, she went to her stump speech when asked a question. You know, she didn't even really answer the question. She just jumped automatically into her stump speech. But, however, she made do with what time she was offered, with what she could contribute. Her message about our disastrous foreign policies and, uh, you know, our disastrous regime change wars seemed to resonate with the public. Articles after the debate stated that she had quote won the debate by being the most searched candidate. So props to Tulsi. I really like her. Obviously she's really good in foreign policy about, you know, criticizing our foreign policy blunders. Um, so I'm personally a big fan of her and, you know, I, I, I obviously wish her well. Now, someone that I don't like, let's just switch it up. Let's do a 180. Someone that I don't like is John Delaney. He was horrifically bad during the debates. He ran on being, you know, he he went, he's marketing himself on being the sensible, bipartisan candidate, and he spent all his time bashing and railing against socialism. This kind of milquetoast centrist posturing is not exciting at all. It's not bold. It's not transformative. In a time where we're so polarized in the country, where we have grotesque levels of income inequality, injustice, lack of affordable health care, housing, climate change, and so on, we don't need that boring bar- bipartisan candidate like a John Delaney. Predictably, his campaign failed to rise in the polls. And recently, in the past couple of days, there were there were articles that stated that his staff actually urged him to drop out from the presidential race. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. John Delaney needs to save himself the embarrassment and just disappear. There was also Mayor Bill de Blasio. Now, for some progressive YouTube, some progressive YouTubers were actually really impressed with his performance. And um, I, I didn't, I didn't have a, as much as enthusiasm if, as, you know, the YouTube world and he was all right, but there was one moment in the debates where he mentioned that he was the father of a black son and how that helped him be mindful of the racism in the United States. And I personally just cringed at that blatant pandering. Um, I just think that when you use it's it's weird when you use your family member for to score political brownie points i think that's kind of low uh marianne williamson is another interesting candidate so immediately after the debate i thought she was a strange like doofus 
She reminded me of a weird hippie lady that emphasized love and compassion above all else. She even said some weird bonkers quote about defeating Trump's hate on the battlefield with love. Although I found her kooky and bizarre, uh, my opinion actually, so I'm going to go a little bit of a tangent. My opinion changed after I saw her interview on the Dave Rubin show. I, you know, after that, I thought, you know, I think she's a really smart and intelligent woman, although her campaigning and debate performance was unconventional and strange. Um, so she appeared on the Dave Rubin show, a, a, I think a couple of days ago to talk about her candidacy. Now, to be fair, anyone is smarter than Dave Rubin. He's a clown, but Marianne Williamson was so quick and articulate about uh, issues about racism, reparations, criminal justice, and um, just putting it in a historical context. She made some really fantastic points about our responsibility to address the racism, the institutional racism in this country, our uh, history of slavery and injustice, and how we need to rectify these issues by, you know, being responsible and, and, and um, you know, doing reparations and writing the wrongs that were committed against minorities and native Americans, blacks, and, um, other, other minority groups. And she made Dave Rubin look like a complete fool, a complete moron more so than he already is. And I encourage everyone to watch her interview with Dave Rubin on YouTube. She seems to be a really good person. And I'm really glad I saw this interview and which it, and it changed my mind on her completely. So, um, you know, I think she's a great speaker, a great person. I don't know what she does in her professional life, but, um, you know, I'm glad my opinion changed. Anyways, let's rope this back on the, let's rope this back on the, on the topic of the debates. Um, sorry for that long tangent, but let's go on to Pete Buttigieg. Dave Rubin is a clown, but so is Pete Buttigieg. He's a mayor. And the first thing he does in the debates is he admits that he's not doing a, a, jo a good job in his own hometown regarding an officer-involved shooting and a scandal regarding his, you know, his, his racist police department. Well, here's the thing. That's all he has. He's only been a mayor. If you're screwing it up now... I'm not sure how well you're going to lead the country. Now, Eric Swalwell, one of his only positives in the debates was calling out Pete Buttigieg, telling him to fire his police chief. And Pete Buttigieg looked frustrated and he looked visibly upset after that comment by Eric Swalwell. And I don't, I didn't find Pete Buttigieg's performance in the debates very convincing or very, um, you know, it didn't really change my mind on him, but let's move on to Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Joe Biden did not perform well in this debate. His answers lacked clarity, specificity, and boldness. A primary reason why he did not do well was due to Kamala Harris. She performed a calculated attack on Joe Biden's past cooperation with segregationists in fighting busing. Now, Kamala Harris skillfully hit Joe Biden regarding this busing issue, and boy, it paid off. After the debate, 
Joe Biden's numbers dropped significantly while uh, Kamala Harris saw her poll numbers rise. It was risky. I'll give her that. But Kamala, but this attack paid off in the end. Now, I wasn't particularly fond of her responses to debate questions. She seemed to be very polished, overly coached, and fake, especially if you compare her rhetoric to her prior work in criminal justice, um, which I covered in my previous pod. So, you know, if you don't do, if you don't investigate Kamala's policies in the past, you'll think she's a great candidate, but I urge you to look at it. Um, her rhetoric does not match up to her history. But anyways, moving on, we'll save the best for last. Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders started off a bit flat um, because I've so many Bernie because I've seen so many Bernie Sanders interviews, debates, and rallies. I'm quite used to his tone and energy. Um, so to others that may not have known Bernie well or not seen him speak, his poor performance might have been adequate. It might have been okay. But it wasn't really to me. However, as the debates progressed and continued, Bernie Sanders got better and better, much like fine wine. His answers on Medicare for All was astounding. He emphasized that he was the candidate with the guts and the will to take on the big money interest, to take on our corporations, pharmacy corporations, military, industrial complex, private prison complex, and so on. Um, yeah, and he... He was playing the role of an activist and a fighter. So his close and his closing remarks were solid as well. Now, just to give the debates a conclusive assessment, I don't think anyone won. Although obviously Kamala Harris performed well and Biden and Beto did not. Um, they performed terribly. It's not really a debate when there's 20 candidates and each candidate only gets a minute to respond and 30 second rebuttals. You know, you don't really get a chance to know much about that candidate when you're given such a small amount of time to, to really you know, articulate a point. Most networks and media outlets are only interested in, you know, snazzy one-liners or gotcha moments that you, it really takes a deep dive into that candidate's history in order to learn more about them. Something that you can't really do in these, in these debates. Now the second debate coming up on CNN will be more of the same. Um, again, you'll have the 10 candidates on one night and then another 10 on the other. And I think the debates, I, I think the structure of the debate will be the same. So I don't think any much will change until we really get into Iowa until a lot of candidates start dropping out. Okay, so that was my little uh, review about the first debate. Let's, um, I'm gonna share my points, share some of my thoughts on the current state of the primary. Now, to be honest, I've been very frustrated with what's been happening, especially voters. People's perceptions of a candidate are likely to change depending on how much research they do and how much knowledge they have on a particular candidate. What really drives me nuts is how shallow some people are in their analysis of a certain candidate or an issue or just the lack of research conducted. 
I mean, sometimes people give me hope, and I don't mean to toot my own horn, but Bernie supporters are just so much more knowledgeable about what's going on, you know, just the issues and what's going on in America. When you have a policy-oriented candidate like Bernie Sanders, he's not, you know, he's not particularly sexy, charismatic, or flashy. So that's why you'll need to search up and understand his policies and what he's been fighting for. He has immense grassroots and small dollar donor support. So obviously his message resonates to a lot of people. It's all about the policy, the message, the vision, and the consistency. Now, some voters, and to be honest, I hate blaming voters, but some people are, are, are truly called what are, what are truly called low info voters. You know, people who only see the candidate at face value. They go for the big sound bites that aren't concerned with details, but with, you can say, acts, with identity and showmanship. They think that it's a circus, and whoever puts on the best show gets the vote. So let's take, uh, let's take Pete Buttigieg, for example. Now I get it. He's a Rhodes Scholar. He speaks Norwegian. He's smart. He speaks elegantly, very well. Um, people like that he's polished, and he's well-spoken, and is that it? I mean, if you peel the onion back a little, you'll see that he's, he's not a very good candidate. He defends big Wall Street donations and fundraisers. He doesn't support free college. And just getting into the point of free college, I mean, this damn guy says it's because we don't want poor folks to pay for rich folks attending university. This is the conservative argument against welfare, but just in reverse. I mean, rich folks go to private schools anyways, so, and there's also a lot less of them. So anyways, I digress. Uh, Pete also hired a Goldman Sachs executive to be his national policy director. You get a freaking banker. For freak sakes. These are the guys, these are the clowns that created the 2008 financial crisis. I mean, it's on CNBC. It's not exactly, you know, buried deeply into the internet. Just look a little deeper, guys. I mean, it's the same case of Beto. This guy's just full of himself. The debate showed how vapid and how empty and hollow this guy is. He doesn't believe in Medicare for all, and he just got exposed on immigration by Julian Castro. And he doesn't stand for anything in the economy. Just look at his answer to that 70% marginal tax rate question. Why is this guy here? His energy and enthusiasm can best be served by running for Senate. And, you know, people who love Kamala have the same issue, too. Being consistent is such a big part of the appeal of a candidate. Some people either don't care about consistency or don't do the research. We've talked about Kamala in the last podcast. You know, in short, her progressive rhetoric does not match her record in the past. She's even backed off Medicare for all, not once, but twice. So obviously, you know, she's going to pander and then she's going to back up and then she's going to make promises and then she's going to renege on those promises. So watch out, guys. Don't fall for the bait. Now, imagine going to the grocery store. 
and picking out the food that had the flashiest packaging, that had the brightest colors, that had the best advertisements, without looking at the nutritional facts or reading reviews prior uh, prior to going to the supermarket. I don't know if that's a great analogy, but that's kind of how I feel about my friends and voters this election season. People are going for who is flashy, who is well-spoken and charismatic, but not for those that are consistent, have good policies and ideas, and have good, solid values. Now, I don't think I am voter shaming, which is obviously really bad, and I've been thinking about this. If you look back in 2016, Hillary supporters and the media voter shamed as Bernie fans over and over. They were saying how like, oh my God, you're mis misogynist. You just love Donald Trump. You guys should be ashamed of yourself. You guys, you know, messed up the country and so on. The establishment politicians, they just wanted progressives and left-wingers to just fall in line, be quiet and listen. It was so frustrating and it was paternalistic. It was just, it got me mad. It got me freaking pissed off. Now, I think it's a little bit different in this case. I think if you're serious about transformative, fundamental change in this country with policies that benefit the average working man and not the 1% or mega corporations and so on, then you have to look for a candidate that has been consistently fighting has solid, unshakable beliefs and morals, has good ideas, and is a visionary. You know, people people voted in 2016 for Bernie Sanders because of these things, because it appealed to them. These supporters had a framework of what they wanted in a candidate, and they stuck to it. And you got to give them props to that. You know, in this case, people need to articulate what they believe in, what they want America to be, what policies they want in place. You know, if you call yourself a centrist or moderate, then I can accept that you're voting for someone like Joe Biden, you know, as terrible as he is, because these, you know, his ideas appeal to you. You're a moderate, you're looking for moderate solutions. That's, that's fine. If you say that that's what you are, be consistent. But if you value progressivism or consistency, and then you go for a Kamala Harris, who has, who, you know, who had a terrible criminal justice record, who's walked back on Medicare for all twice, then I don't think you know, then I just think that you're misinformed or you're fooling yourself, you know, get some standards, develop some principles. Now I want to end on just this, please check out the debates. If you can, it's going to be similar to the first one, you know, due to the amount of candidates and the format, but the more you learned and the more aware you are, the better. Don't just fall for the one liners or the clapbacks but really look into the candidate and look into their record. See if they've been consistent, you know, what, who their policies have benefited and so on. So, you know, although I am a Bernie fan, and of course I want you to vote for Bernie Sanders, I've been talking about on this podcast, why he's transformative and you know, why he's good and yada, yada. But I want people to do their own research and make up their own mind about the candidate that they support, you know, um, based on those morals and values, based on those policies, make up your own, make up your own mind and, you know, come up with a framework yourself. So, um, that's it. Thanks for listening. And I hope you have a great rest of your day.